This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey everybody and welcome to iFreaks, episode number 144. Uh, this week on our panel, it's just two of us. It's me and it's Jane. We're going we're gonna to talk a little today about some topics related to people that are are new to, to iOS development or to programming in general, um, how to learn, how to teach, and, and some of these kind of things, and um, just sort of see where the conversation takes us. So, Jane, before the show, we were talking a little about a conversation I had with somebody that uh, is quite new and is is sort of out there looking for his first iOS development job and, and had questions about how he can get a job that will allow him to, to learn and, and to get better and to gain experience and, and that will be a really valuable first job for him. Uh, which is sort of what prompted this topic, and then you, you mentioned that you've been teaching, uh, you've been teaching kids to code lately. The thing I sort of wanted to s- start with is I wanted to remember back to when I was learning to program, and I, I wonder about you too. How did you v- very first get started programming? So when I was a kid, my parents bought me an Apple IIe, and I did coded the basic games, doing that, copying stuff out of those magazines, creating those games. By copying things out of magazines, I mean copying like a page or two, getting bored and finding a friend that got it from somewhere, actually. But I would, I would code my own games. And I, I got away from computers for a while. Um, my Apple IIe got a little obsolete when I was in high school. And I just played music and did other stuff and studied engineering and really didn't code a whole lot in, in school. I studied electrical engineering and audio-based stuff, so a lot of recording, you know, a lot of circuits and digital signal processing, but not a whole lot of code. Had a couple classes did a project here or there, but wasn't graduating thinking, oh, I'm going to be a software developer. And in fact, I was kind of like, well, not really. That was the mid-90s before the first dot-com boom, so the economy was pretty bad at that point. So you know, a lot of my friends ended up going to grad school and stuff like that. Some found cool jobs, but I ended up finding a job in QA, doing testing and stuff like that. And within a few months, you know, they realized, oh, he could probably code too, so they need some help with the development. And I just kind of walked into that role, so it kind of just kind of handed it to me. It wasn't something I was really focusing on. And basically I was just kind of thrown thrown into the deep end. Okay, here here's a project. Um fix these bugs. And you know, I had done a little bit of C, C, but not a ton of it. So it was basically just learning as I go. That's that's how I got started. You know, that's not necessarily a repeatable thing. But one thing to you can take away with this is, you know, take what you can and do a good job, help people solve problems, and you know you can get a chance to code in a lot of different uh, positions. Even though if you're doing QA, you can do scripting. There's a lot of different things where you can get a chance to start writing code and get experience actually, you know, creating things with software. That was my experience. I like that. I guess our experiences uh, are somewhat similar. So my dad was a, well, was he is a, a programmer, but he's also an electrical engineer and. Um, he had me doing both from the time I was quite young, and I started programming in in BASIC on a PC probably in 
I don't know when I was five years old and we also had a Mac, a Mac at home. So I did a, l- a little bit of hypercard here and there. I don't think I thought of that as programming at the time, but it sort of was, but really it was hardware that interested me. And I went to school for electrical engineering. Like you had one, I think I had one C class that was just sort of a required class. Like the first year I was there, but mostly I I was not a programmer and then decided I wanted to learn how to program while I was still in college and sort of taught myself and it was just a thing I did for fun. I didn't at all plan for it to be my job, which was good because it meant, you know, it meant I was doing it just because I wanted to do it and my motivation was good, but I also didn't have a lot of help. You know, I was just sort of figuring out as I went along and found some opportunities to use that programming at my job doing where I was doing hardware engineering and then eventually just decided to make the jump and do it professionally. And I have to say that I thought I knew how to program better than I actually did when I really first started doing it with other people who actually knew what they were doing. And I learned a whole lot from working with people who were a lot more experienced than me. My my code got better. My grasp of all the concepts certainly got better. And, and it was a really great thing to have somebody around helping me. But I, I liked what you, you know, the part of your story where you weren't really a, a programmer and you got th- sort of thrown into it starting with testing. So you sort of had that experience of going from super, what you might say a super, super junior developer in that you were not even really a developer, you were QA into um, learning how to program. Did you get help from people that were around you? I mean, a little bit, but it's mainly just trying stuff out. So there were other developers in the team. It was a startup. So it was a real small company and, you know, everyone had their stuff to work, work on. And I wasn't even sure of the questions to ask. So I just kind of poking around until I started to figure stuff out. I was a not a very good developer for the first number of years, so, <laughs> to, to be honest. I, I, yeah, um, a little more mentoring would have been pretty valuable. Yeah, so I, I wonder about that. I not as a programmer, but my first job doing electrical engineering. My boss was, you know, had been doing it at, at that company for thirty-five years or something. So he he was very experienced, knew what he was doing, very smart, and I. I felt a little bit out of my depth, of course, and uh, I was like the youngest person at the company, period, let alone an engineer, and I I would ask him so many questions, and I remember one day him saying, you need to quit asking me so many questions and figure stuff out on your own, and I felt like, well, I am trying to figure this stuff out on my own. I only ask you because I can't figure it out. The point was that I think there's certainly a balance to be struck between getting help help when you you really need it and and also... Uh, sometimes struggling through things on your own. I certainly think as a programmer, you learn a lot when you struggle through a problem. Definitely. I think problem solving is the number one tool that you're going to use your entire career. And like coming out of school or even coming out of a a boot camp or whatever you're doing, like any engineering company realizes that they're going to lose money on any new hire for the first couple of years. That's something that like my uncle, who who was a mechanical engineer at his own company, he was like, yeah, I'm going to lose money on them for the first first two years just because we need someone to hold their hand, tell them how to do things. But at that point, then they kind of figure it out and you know they're valuable employees. But there's a lot of stuff you have to figure out and a lot of stuff that is not taught in school and you know probably shouldn't be taught in school. On the other hand, I think there's a lot you can learn from from somebody that is more experienced and is willing to sit down. You know, from the beginner beginner's perspective, if you're out looking for your first job, I certainly think there's a lot of value in finding a company that understands what you just what you just said, that they may not hire you and have you right out of the gate doing really great work, completely hands off, but they're hiring you because of your potential. And if they're willing to put in time and effort, they can end up with something really good. 
yeah, time, t- time and t- effort t- training you were helping you, I mean. Yeah, definitely. And taking on junior people and throwing them off the deep end, probably not a terribly good way of doing it. I, I wish I would have had a little more mentoring. A lot of people I was working with, you know, would have helped if I knew not, known how to, how to ask or, you know, thought about that, but didn't. But yeah, it's important to, you know, if I have someone I can ask, ask questions with. And it, it's also important to say that, you know, in software, there's a lot of really trivial things that we do as software developers. You know, if you're a senior person, sometimes you're changing text, which does not require a whole lot of experience to do. You know, changing a color, making this, moving this, this thing around the screen a little bit. So there, there are a number of just trivial tasks that, you know, you can throw junior developers on and get them in, into the mix. Well, that that's an interesting point. I th- I think as somebody now that has some experience and has worked with people who are newer, it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about how, as an experienced developer, you can best do that. Because there's a whole spectrum in between just throwing somebody into the deep end and not giving them any help and giving them some project that's right. You know, you're going to write an app from scratch without any help. And then on the other side, you can be really reluctant to give somebody any responsibility at all because you feel like they're going to screw it up or, you know, they don't know what they're doing. What are some ways you think, James, that, that as an experienced developer can really effectively help and, and mentor somebody that's new? Beyond, of course, telling them to just change text or, or colors, which I think is mm-hmm. great. Yeah, just keep handing them more and more things, you know, uh, gradually. And, you know, let them make mistakes. That's important. You know, maybe not let the code get committed, you know, pushed out or whatever, but, you know, let them try some things and give them feedback. And, and you know, it's important to be positive. Um, it's easy because we do a lot of, with the client I've been working with, we do a lot of pull requests. It's easy just to be negative, all negative pull request comments. And when someone's just getting their bearings on there, that can be discouraging. So it's important to, you know, say, okay, this part's good. This is good. You know, this works. It does what we want it to. Um, here's some ways we can improve it. But I think it's important to just keep giving, you know, more tasks, you know, let people make mistakes. You know, people will uncover their own mistakes pretty frequently. I know. Do you have any experience with that? Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think you're right. I also think that there can be some more formalized sorts of, I guess, processes for helping uh, junior people, including things like pair programming, which I'm, I don't think I'm really a fan of that, but, but I, I know it works well some places, but, you know, formal code reviews and maybe less formally, just being open and approachable when somebody has questions. Uh, I think it can be really easy, you know, to get annoyed by somebody new asking questions that to you seem sort of obvious, but they weren't obvious when you first started. And, and anyway, so I mean some sort of guidance and feedback that really helps them, you know, understand how you might do do things differently or learn more about the, the ways that your experience informs the code that you write so that they can, they can learn from that. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's best if somebody doesn't have to make a mistake and ship a bug and whatever before they figure out a better way to do something. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm a big fan of pair programming to transfer knowledge. I mean, even if I come on a new project or something and people are already working on it and I have access to that developer, you know, like, sit down with me, you know, let's work through this, you know, work through a problem just so I understand just the whole ecosystem because there's a lot with the software project that's beyond code. You know, are we talking to a web service? You know, is there any authentication we have to do? There's tons of things you have to to figure out when you sit down to a new project. And even for a a senior developer who's done it many, many times, you know, I I do consulting, so I'm always on different projects. It's still like, what's happening here? Okay, does this work? How do I get this set up? And, 
you know, that would be completely daunting to someone who's new. So I think pair programming, you know, even for an hour or two, just to get things started, get things up and running and being able to watch someone more experienced or have them lead you. Like I always make the junior person drive, do the typing and kind of lead them on if I'm, if I'm in that position. Where you work now, do you guys do um, formal code reviews at all? So the client I'm working with, yes, we do a code review. So we'll do a code along on a branch and do a pull request. And you have at least two developers uh, take a look at it. This is a good chance to see what people are doing and make sure everything everything's good. And even, you know, I, I, I overlook things. So it's always good to have another set of eyeballs on it. We don't have a formalized process for it at Mixed In Key, but especially when I was first starting out, and whenever anyone new starts out quickly, they're sort of, I, I don't, I hesitate to use the word probation because it's like they did something wrong. But, um, but for a while, at least all of, all of their commits are reviewed. And I know I learned a lot from that process. I also learned a lot from, from doing that for other people, because a lot of times somebody who is new actually has, you know, knows things or does things differently than I might. And I actually learn things from them. They do things in a better way than I might have. So I, I really like that for all the people involved. I really like that idea of whether formally or informally, knowing what the, what the people you're working with are doing, knowing the code they're writing, not just sort of being siloed off on your own and not really, you know, working closely with, with the code that other people are writing. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So if you're someone coming into programming, you know, ask, you know, how are things reviewed? Do they do a formalized process? Do people just kind of scan over it? Um, do they ship it and wait for the bugs to come back and yell at you? That's the way they do it. That's kind of a bad sign if you want to learn. But, you know, look at the processes that they have and your opportunities to learn. And code review is one opportunity to get feedback from people that have been doing it for a long time. So I've actually been teaching iOS development for about a year at a boot camp here in, in Salt Lake to people who mostly are completely new to programming in general, although some of them have some programming experience, but they're certainly all new to iOS programming, and uh, it's it's actually been quite a fun and fulfilling experience to teach new people, to see them go from, you know, they come in and they're, they're really excited to learn, but they don't know anything, and they don't even really know how much they don't know, you know? They don't realize how much there is to learn. Um, and by the end, they're certainly not experts, but they feel much more confident with their ability to keep learning and to, um, and, and they're able to, you know, they're able to build stuff, they're able to do useful things. Uh, and helping be part of that process has been really fulfilling. It's also taught me a little bit about, I don't know, some of the ways that people learn and, and how they think. We actually did an episode with the guy, Joshua, who wrote the curriculum, the original curriculum for this boot camp. Um, I can't remember what episode number that was, but I'll find a, a link to it. We talked to him about writing that curriculum. But as a teacher, I've sort of learned that as I'm teaching, being able to rephrase and explain things in depth and be ready to answer questions helps me really solidify the knowledge I have. I think this is true of any field, not just programming, but it's been a good opportunity for me to, to learn things or, or maybe to better understand things that I thought I knew as I prepare. And for that reason, I sort of, you know, not everybody can sort of do it as a job, but when you have the chance, teaching somebody new about some of the stuff you know can be a really good, valuable thing, I think. So what are, some, what are some things you've learned teaching new developers? Well, one thing I've learned is that the stuff that I think is, sometimes I'm not very easy, not very able to predict the stuff that's uh, confusing to a new person because it's not the stuff that's confusing to me. But even, you know, simple stuff like why is there a star in front of everything in Objective-C, right? 
Mm-hmm. And you just sort of take that for granted after you've been doing it long enough. But I, I think more broadly, as I'm teaching, my goal has, has become more and more to help them understand only as much as they need to know while still understanding that there's um, you know plenty more out there to learn because there's sort of a balance to be struck between understanding everything, which if you really understand everything, you know, you understand more than I do because you're all the way down at the silicon level eventually. You're down at the atomic level eventually, right? But I mean, you know, they don't need to, they don't necessarily need to understand how the Objective-C runtime is written, but they should understand it enough to actually build an app. And that's sort of what, what our goal is. I'm trying to think just off the top of my head, some of some specifics that I've learned. I think one thing is how valuable it is to, to teach people and to learn as a new person, um, debugging skills. So, you know, the first few days that they're, they're working on this, inevitably people write code that won't compile or it crashes or, or does something. And at first they don't even know that there is a thing called a debugger. Right. And so, um, very early on it, it helps to teach them some really basic skills for, for sort of critical thinking and troubleshooting and testing your assumptions. And I, I, I think I didn't realize how valuable those skills were right from the very beginning. Yeah, definitely. And how useful it is if you're teaching iOS development, you just go to Xcode and the debugger's right there. You don't have to wire up any GDB or stuff like that. Yeah, but if you don't know about it, it's still kind of like, I, I, I know, you know, people will have a an exception will get thrown, right? And they'll see this stuff spewed out to the console but they have no idea what that really is they know it's a problem their app stops but they don't have the faintest idea of how to start tracking it down and i'm sometimes surprised at how they don't even seem to you know read the message that's logged and even at first there's not there's not this connection in their mind between hey this message if i read it it might actually help me find the problem you know it's like it might as well just be chinese they don't have any idea what's going on um, yeah if you're, if, if you're a new developer you definitely won't understand what that message means but you can copy and paste it and there's probably a stack overflow question that explains it right so yeah. i think the the point there is actually no matter how experienced you are but especially for a new person there's really nothing wrong with using google you know i certainly put error messages in google all the time even now yeah definitely oh, daily I, I would say what what is that error i don't know what this means and I, I've also heard or, or seen um, somebody, you know, that people that I'm teaching, it's like they, they actually think, you know, it's sort of like they think it's like um, when you are in high school and, and you're not supposed to have a calculator on a math test. They think Google is the equivalent of a calculator on a math test and it's cheating somehow. Yep. But that's not, not how it is. Life is open book, people. <laughs> yeah. And you're cool. Your job as a programmer will be too. Uh, another thing I've learned is that a lot of times my basic response to a question will be, well, go read the documentation. I think that's, you know, it's important to teach people that the documentation is a resource that's available to, to them and one that they should use. But at the same time, sometimes that's actually not a very good answer because a lot of documentation is written for experienced people. You know, if -hmm. you know nothing about this whole subject that you're looking into, sometimes the documentation is not really the best place to start no that makes sense like yeah documentation you know the apple docs they're very good you know the swift it's all good but like i remember trying to go to read band files when i was trying to figure stuff out and just not getting anywhere with it Uh, but it's important to learn and teach people how to do google searches i remember i was working on a project and i had done most of the app and they're going to bring up a junior person 
And anytime he got stuck, he sent me an email. What do I do? And, you know, I had to kind of walk him through the process. Like, what did you try? It's like, well, I ran it and it didn't work. Like, all right. Um, so I, I helped him out a couple times and the questions didn't get any more complex. And I, I knew it was a smart kid. He was just out of school. Or he might have been an intern at that point. But I can't walk him through like, okay, well, what did you try? Did you try Googling anything? He's like, well, I just copied and pasted the whole thing and nothing really came up. I'm like, well, here, try this. Take these texts out there and try that. And you know, before you email me, write down three things that you tried before doing it. And after that had happened, then he had like, oh, also the questions are a lot better. They're detailed. I can answer them quickly without going, I have no idea. So it's even learning a little bit of Google foo and how to kind of research those error messages and knowing which parts of the string are specific to your code. If it's a variable name, you know, that's not going to show up in a Google search, but you can strip that out and, you know, get the rest of the error string and someone else has probably seen it and there's probably a stack overflow question about it and they're explaining it and you can, oh, okay, well, that's what that is. So Google foo is important, a very important tool. Yeah, uh, it definitely is. I sometimes um, think that being able to use Google and and also being able to ask properly ask a question uh, are really really important parts of debugging and troubleshooting. I think that's another sort of uh, another thing that's hard for for beginners is that they run into a problem and they often you know maybe they they want to ask a question on Stack Overflow or whatever, but they don't they really don't even know how know how to ask the right question. There, people, this has been talked about a lot. I actually picked an article that talks about this uh, on our last episode. But as a new person learning learning how to ask a good question, and some of the things that James talked about, like fully describe the problem, you know, describe what you're trying to do, tr- d- describe what you've what you've tried, like post the code that you're using, post a detailed error message if you're if you're seeing an error message. Don't just say, "Oh, I got an error. What do I do next?" You know, because there's actually whether you can decipher it or not, there's often a lot of a lot of valuable information in, in error messages. But also, as somebody who's answering questions, sometimes you have to be patient and and wade through some of those problems if you really want to help. It can be it can be frustrating sometimes, but those are the things new people struggle with. Just uh, you know, inevitably, I don't think there's any way to solve it behind besides being patient and understanding and guiding guiding people to do better. Yeah, definitely, and it's. Important to let people see your thought process when you're working through it. So even going back, well, what did you try? Did you try searching for this? That's a process I use all the time. So it's important to show, like, well, that's how a lot of people solve problems. You know, someone else has thought of this. They've encountered it. Maybe we could learn from them. And then there's the cases where you're way beyond Stack Overflow, which I get there frequently, and you're just out of luck, and you have to read the documentation. But for both stuff... For most apps, that's not really a, an issue. Both you and I said that we started programming when we were kids, and I think that's actually true of a lot of programmers, although certainly not all. And I, I think there's been a real push lately to encourage more kids to, to learn to be exposed to and to learn programming. You mentioned, Jamie, that you've been working on teaching kids to program a little lately. Yeah, so I'm working with... There's a organization in Minneapolis that does a bunch of programs that help kids learn to code, even from high school girls, they're part of Technovation, to the Code Clubs, which I work in, which operate out of North Minneapolis, which is a, you know underrepresented uh, community. So, you know, every every Monday I unplug from what I'm doing and I head up to North Minneapolis and 
you know, we've got to, I'll do some volunteering in this community center, and uh, they'll bring in a group of kids, and we try and teach them, you know, code stuff. And, you know, we use tools like Scratch. We try and do Scratch if we can. Uh, that works pretty good for kids that are maybe third, fourth grade and up, but we've got other tools, and basically we're just trying to teach the basic concepts. And if you're not familiar with Scratch, is a, a GUI-based tool where you can drag, they call them blocks, but you drag blocks onto a screen that represents, you know, moving a figure, what they call sprite, across the screen, or doing for loops, that type of thing. So you actually create pretty intricate programs using this this block language. And but for the kids, they just it's just drag and drop. You drag it off the screen into the program area and we can teach the basic things, basic, you know, computing concepts. And, you know, some of the kids just totally get it. They're, they're right on board. They're like, oh, this is so cool. We can make this move around. I can get my name and make it flash and stuff like that. So it's been a lot of fun, but it, it's also, you get into the cases where they ask a question that I have, I have no way of knowing how to answer in terms that you can, you can think of, you know, similar to the objective C, why is this star here? If someone's just trying to get the, the syntax down, you know, explaining pointers is just going to blow their mind. So when you get into getting more advanced for loops for kids who are just trying to figure out the basic stuff out, like, okay, how can I break this down? So it's, it's an interesting exercise, but um, it's rewarding. I wonder about what ways have you found are successful for getting kids to, to want to learn programming? So there's, you know, sit them down in front of a computer and have these exercises ready for them or whatever. But but how do you make that an attractive thing, something that they think is cool and interesting and actually worth spending time on? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, kids, they'd rather be playing games, a lot of them. But, I mean, there's a percentage of kids that just get it. You know, like, oh, this is so cool, I'm creating something. And it's just important that they have an environment that's quiet where they can kind of focus and think about what they're doing. If you're trying to do it in a loud area, kids are running around and yelling, that's just not going to work. You know, it, it's hard to, I, I have trouble picking up kind of the carrot that, because, you know, you talk to a high school kid, like, well, you know, this is a good job. Maybe you can go to college, you can do these kind of things, you get a good job. If you're in elementary school, like, you're not thinking about jobs, stuff like that. So we just try and keep things simple and just try and do fun things. And, you know, for the younger kids, we do a lot of stuff off code.org where they've got tutorials you walk them through and it's it's important to especially with younger kids to make sure that if they get frustrated like you're on top of it because they get frustrated they get mad they don't understand something they get mad and okay code sucks i hate it so you, you can lose them pretty easily but you know we're doing the best we can and we're learning you know and that's what we're trying to do i think there is a you know, there there, pro- there probably is a certain sort of um, personality that's just going to do better than others. Because, you, you know, no matter what, to be a programmer at some point, you have to be the kind of person who's willing to struggle through a problem for a long time when it's frustrating and, you know, be uh, fulfilled enough by finally fixing it and, and seeing it work. That, that has to make you happy enough that it was worth the annoyance and the time you spent. And probably for some people, it's just not, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we try and have projects that everyone can work on, so they're learning one concept and give them the opportunity to modify it if they want to, but if they just want to drag stuff off and copy it off the screen, they can do that too, because we're trying to you know, expand it beyond just the people that might be the, the natural programmer types and get everyone 
exposed to it, so it's not completely foreign if they encounter it in the future. I don't know if you'll have a good answer to this question. We didn't talk about it beforehand, but if you know somebody is listening to this and and teaching or especially helping kids learn to code is something they're interested in, do you know of um, good ways to get into that? So I'm not sure. I mean, in, in Minneapolis, there's Code Savvy, which does a lot of things, and that's a pr- very good model of how to do things. They do they have a big involvement with Technovation, which is a program for teenage girls to write apps using a similar kind of block based language but actually runs on an 